0: Any holiday should be about a celebration of something. So for 420, it's like I just sit and then call it meditate on my relationship to cannabis. I'm going to consume and do something that I really like to do.
1: That was the one and only Ricky Williams. We have a fascinating conversation with him coming up. It's Thursday, April 20th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. We'll get to Ricky Williams, but first, let's hit some news. Nashville is inching toward the largest ever public fund for an NFL stadium. The city council voted 25 to 11 this week to send a proposal to a final vote that would authorize $1.26 billion in public money toward a new stadium for the Tennessee Titans. The remaining $840 million of the $2.1 billion project would come from the team, sales, and loans from the NFL. Plans released in October show a 60,000-seat stadium with a retractable dome that the city and team hope would be worthy of hosting the Super Bowl and other big events. The NFL, MLB, MLS, NASCAR, NBA, WNBA, and NHL, as well as broadcasters NBC Universal and Fox, have formed the Coalition for Responsible Sports Betting Advertising, aimed at ensuring, quote, a responsible approach to sports betting advertising. The group's major principles focus on ads being in good taste, not misleading, targeted only at adults of legal betting age, and not promoting excessive or irresponsible betting. The sports betting industry posted a new February record this year by bringing in $636 million in revenue and $8.41 billion in handle. And the Texas Rangers filed a motion Tuesday requesting to join MLB, the Twins, and the Cleveland Guardians in seeking an emergency hearing in the Diamond Sports bankruptcy case over unpaid fees. Diamond, which owns the Bally Sports Networks, missed a quarterly payment to the Rangers over the weekend. It's April 20th, and some people will be celebrating a certain holiday today, and among them is former Miami Dolphins star running back Ricky Williams. Ricky has been an outspoken cannabis advocate since his playing days, and eventually had to decide if weed or football was more important to him because of the league's rules, but to him, the two actually went quite well together. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Ricky Williams. All right. I am joined now by Heisman Trophy winner, former NFL star and cannabis advocate and founder of the cannabis brand Heisman, Ricky Williams. Welcome, Ricky. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, really glad to have you on. So I just listed off a bunch of things that people associate with you. Are there any of those that you identify with more or less, uh, you know, NFL player, college player, cannabis advocate, entrepreneur? Is one of those to Ricky Williams to you right now, or is it all is it all you?
0: I mean, by definition, it's all me um, because I think we we can't get rid of our past, um, even if we wanted to. But also, our past is what makes us who we are. So I think the one that I'm most focused on right now is an entrepreneur. But the way I'm I do entrepreneurship is based off is based off the other ones.
1: Yeah, and I was going to ask you about that. How do you think people? You know, w- when you speak to them, when you, you know, when when you promote your company, um, how do you think your past as an athlete affects how people hear you?
0: Interesting. So I, I think because I was an athlete who started his cannabis advocacy while, you know, while I was still playing, um, it makes me kind of a unicorn, you know, you, you, you just don't, you just don't really see that very, very often. And so it makes my story more intriguing. I think people are, are captured by... A lot of times they'll say they call it my courage, you know, to just to stick to what was important to me to walk away from the NFL when I after failing a couple drug tests. Um, So that's really what the brand is about. I mean, I'm trying to get the conversation, both me as an entrepreneur and as a football player, to the excellence that I was able to achieve on the field. But because of the the cannabis stuff and the suspensions, it kind of takes over. It takes over the story which is nice because it, it gets people's attention. But, you know, I'm trying to steer the conversation to how cannabis helped me achieve that that greatness on the field.
1: And often when someone, you know, commits a courageous act, they'll they'll say, you know, people, other people will say it's courageous and they'll say, well, you know, I was, didn't feel courageous. I was just doing what I felt was the thing to do. For you, did it feel like a, a courageous act or or just kind of the natural, the correct thing to do for you?
0: Well, <laughs> it felt like a crisis, you know, and I think usually people are talking about courage is because there's something really difficult going on that the person has to push through and figure out. And so going through it, I felt like I was in crisis, but my training as a football player is to get your priorities straight in crisis and move in that direction. And so as a football player, I think I was trained to be courageous when it spilled over into my personal life. I used those same skills to, to follow the game plan. I don't feel like it was courageous, but I look back and I'm like, wow, you know, because part of when someone does something courageous right next to the thought that was courageous is, wow, that was really stupid, especially, especially beforehand. Afterwards, it's easy to see oh, that was dumb or like, wow, that was courageous. But in the moment, you don't you don't know.
1: Right. I mean, often it depends how it all works out. I mean, now the NFL has this. It's still prohibited to to use cannabis in the league, but they've gotten a lot looser about it. And so has the culture as a whole. Um, and so the people who are taking a stand when it was less popular, you know, now, you know, I think you've, you've been vindicated if that's even the right word, but, you know, things had gone a different direction. People might be looking back at you and say, like, oh yeah, that guy, he threw away his career for drugs and, you know, you know, I guess too bad for him or whatever they would say. So yeah, often I guess it just depends on, on, you know, does history work in your favor? <laughs>
0: Yeah, there's an interesting point. Something you said about cannabis use being prohibited. I think technically it's never been prohibited. What's been prohibited is failing a test for it. You know, so I'm not sure it's always been about the substance. It's more been about you're going to toe the line and follow and follow the rules. Because even the NFL's drug policy, you know, started back in the late 80s was really about reputation. Is we don't want the fans thinking that we house thugs. And back then, cannabis was associated. The war on drugs was associated with, with, felonious behavior. And so, like everything, culture, society, it evolves and grows. And as we evolve and grow, we have to change the the definitions. We have to change the, the stereotypes to, so that they can evolve with us. And when I look at my life and from that perspective, I feel I feel proud that I was, you know, that I'm part of the story of of this growth and this evolution around around cannabis.
1: So I, obviously you're far from the only player who is, is using at the time, and, and certainly now too, I'm sure. Um, were you talking to a lot of other players who, who are using, even you know helping each other not get caught or anything like that, or just you know smoking together?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think because of the stigma, there's, a, there's like a countercul- there was a counterculture around, around mm-hmm. cannabis and, and the whole theme. And and the NFL was implicit in this too. The whole theme around it is lie about it and don't get caught. You know, if you're gonna do it, lie about it and don't get caught, because the assumption is that the NFL, the opportunity, the money, the NFL career is always more important than the cannabis. And I think I was a first person, maybe just the luck of the draw, where that actually wasn't the case for me. You know, <laughs> the what I found, the experiences that I that I got from using cannabis were more important to me than the experiences I got being a professional football player. And again, I'm saying that after I made a couple of million dollars as a professional football player, right, meaning I ticked that box to where I I have enough resources to do all the things that I really want to do. So <laughs> why am I still here? You know? And what I found with cannabis, it opened my mind to, to come in better better contact with all those other things that I'd rather be doing. And I think that, you know, there's something I learned in psychology class called uh, identity foreclosure. And it happens to child actors or anyone who has a has a lot of talent at a young age. It's kind of like they get shoved into that that realm of growth and development. And it's great because you can achieve greatness. But a lot of times other parts of ourselves that need developmental experiences are abandoned.
1: Yeah, it's something I think about with athletes a fair amount because I and mean, I think for a lot of people, certainly for me, like your 20s are kind of a time to like make a bunch of mistakes, figure out who you are you know, try different things. But if you're a professional athlete, like 26, 27, that's like the peak of your career. Uh, you might might have already had your biggest accomplishments already. And so then, you know, maybe you've made enough money that you're fine. You know, you can figure out who you are in your 30s and 40s and, and go from there. But but yeah, it's got to be tricky for a lot of people to um, – to be in public so much and to be so defined by their achievements at that young age.
0: If the world, the NFL, the fans, the athletes themselves can appreciate this time of their twenties and what what they're about, I think you know will be more accepting, more allowing of this, supportive of this process. And also, a lot of the, the professional athletes, when they're done in their thirties and forties, like you said, theoretically, yeah, now it's time to work on those things. But that's not actually what occurs. You know, because there's this feeling of I've become one of the best in the world at what I do. And now I have to start over. But I think if we're prepared for that, if we're so because that's what happened to me. I retired in 2004, started I traveled around the world for a year. I got a sense of the other things that were important to me. And then when I came back to the NFL, I played another six years. But in the offseason, in my off time, I was developing these other parts of myself so that when I retired the second time, I was ready. You know, I had enough momentum built in a direction that I felt really good about what was next for me.
1: And actually, I'd be curious if you could say a little bit more about that. That experience of going around the world, um, how do you think that changed you?
0: Yeah, so, you know, since I was 18 and I went to University of Texas, pretty much everyone that interacted with me, it was always through the lens of me as a football player and, and everything that meant. And so a large majority of my interactions were around me as a football player player. And when I started traveling around the world, I met people who had no idea I was a football player. And so I started to have different interactions, which made me aware of other parts of myself. And I became aware of those other parts of myself, I, I worked to integrate them into me as a football player. And the greatest gift of my life, you know, and I think one thing about identity foreclosures, like I said earlier, there's just other parts of us that don't get developed. So a great example is what I've learned over the past 15 years is that I'm a sensitive guy, you know, is that I have a, a natural nurturing instinct. You know, if I see someone hurting, it's a natural instinct for me to want to do something to help them feel better. But as a professional football player, our job is kind of to go hurt the other person. And so that, that nurturing side of me, you know, didn't get the kind of development that it needed for me to become a, a fully integrated person. And so in the year off that I retired, just meeting other people right it dawned on me from the interactions i had that i was a sensitive kind of guy that was a nurturing guy and so having those interactions when i came back to the states i said i want to develop this skill more and so i moved up to northern california right grass valley where i am now and i started studying alternative healing modalities and i think this this just in general in life i think the earlier in life we can recognize our all of our aptitudes not just some of them, all of our aptitudes and work to develop them. And I think it puts us in a situation later in life to have a more fulfilling experience.
1: We'll have the rest of our conversation right after this. Here's what's trending now. You can defer payments of a full NetSuite implementation for six months. 33,000 companies have already upgraded to NetSuite, gaining visibility and control over their financials, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and more. Everything they need to reduce manual processes, boost efficiency, build forecasts, and increase productivity. Whether your business generates millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, take advantage of the special financing offer of no payments or interest for six months at netsuite.com slash frontoffice. That's netsuite.com slash frontoffice. So that makes me think about another thing I was going to ask you, which is that, you know, one thing it's sort of obvious to say about professional athletes is that they tend to be hyper hyper competitive, and that is maybe as important to their success uh, in becoming you know reaching the highest level as their physical gifts. And if you think of a you know stereotypical cannabis user, the you know people think of someone who's more laid back, uh, less concerned with winning and losing, let's say. And that's a stereotype, but I do wonder if you ever found those parts of yourself to ever be in conflict.
0: For for me, no. Um... And it, it is a stereotype. And I think a, lo- a large part of why I launched Heisman was to do something to, to change that stereotype, because it's, it's true that, especially football, but most athletes are, are highly competitive. But what I found is that the athletes that are competitive against the other people, those are the ones that tend not to have the greatest success. The ones who have that competitiveness against themselves or with themselves, how can I improve on what I did? How can I be better than I was yesterday? Those are the athletes that are are most successful. And what I found with cannabis is before I started consuming cannabis, most of my competitive nature was more external because that's where most of my energy was. But there's something about consuming cannabis that it turns our focus and our energy not to what's going on out there, but to what's going on inside. And I found when I started consuming cannabis, I became... I, I, it allowed me to shift my competitive nature to more to being a better person, not just being better on the football field.
1: And did you ever have revelations, um, or if, if that's the, even the right word, inspirations, when you were high about how you could improve your game?
0: All the time. To me, that, that's actually the greatest. Our tagline at, at Heisman is spark greatness, because before we can achieve anything externally, we first have to conceive of it inside of our minds, even that it's possible. And I think when the focus is on what's on the outside, so much of what we get from the world is what's not possible or how we're supposed to act. But when we tap inside, we get a different sense of what's, what's possible. And I think part of changing the stereotype is so many people have, yes, we have silly ideas, we have delusional ideas sometimes when we're in that realm, but also mixed in there are brilliant ideas. And I think with the stereotype, people typically don't have the courage to take those brilliant ideas and put them, in, put them into action. But consuming watching film, okay, right, watching cut-ups of the power play, you know, running off tackle, off tackle, and envisioning myself, seeing seeing things that I don't typically see, right? Envisioning myself making cuts, doing things on the field, I found so many times just that visualization practice, it transferred over into the game. I would do things on the field that I, I shocked myself, I surprised myself. In a sense, because I've never done it before, but I had that vision of doing it. During my my post practice sessions.
1: So uh, just recently, the Chicago Cubs became the first uh, Major League Baseball team with a CBD sponsor. And so you know, like sports are like taking these baby steps into cannabis, but it's still like a far cry from you know anything that'll like get you high at the game. Whereas it's like practically required to get a beer when you when you walk into you know baseball game, hockey game, whatever. Do you have any kind of vision around how you would like the relationship between professional sports and cannabis to evolve?
0: I do. I do. Um, The the term that comes to mind is uh, martial arts, martial arts. Typically, we think of martial arts. We think of Kung Fu, Bruce Lee. But um, martial arts are anything competitive, aggressive that we do in an artistic way. And when I say artistic, I mean appreciation. I think the reason I took a class in college when I went back after retiring Um, philosophy of sport. And we had to write a paper on aesthetics, you know, aesthetics. And it got me thinking, like, why do do we love love sports, you know? And for me, at least, I tap in to see someone do something physically or in a competitive uh, milieu that that shocks me. That's like, wow, that I can really learn to appreciate. And one of the things with cannabis is when people consume it's easier to appreciate music. It's easier to appreciate other people's company. It's easier to appreciate the taste of food, right? And I think in the same way, you know, people taking appropriate dosage of cannabis, it helps them appreciate the game, right? You notice things that you didn't notice before. And I don't think we value this sense of appreciation, you know? I don't think we value it enough. But at least for me, it's one of the main reasons I, I turn to cannabis, because it helps me... Appreciate things more. And, and whenever I'm appreciating something, I, it's hard to feel bad about it, whatever it is. Sometimes, even, you know, when my wife is mad at me, okay? If I get defensive, then it turns into a fight. If I can appreciate why she's upset, you know, then I'm like, oh, I get it. <laughs> and at least we can have a conversation. And it's much easier to appreciate her anger after I've smoked a little bit.
1: Uh, last thing I'll ask you, we've got 420 coming up. Uh, what does that day mean to you?
0: You know, I, I've always had like a thing with, with, with 420. Cuz I think it's a great opportunity because there's so much focus, but it's it's been monopolized by by companies, right? It's all how do we make money? How do we sell more weed? Where to me it, it, any any holiday should be about a celebration of something. And so, you know, we're creating content for 420 and I and I'm I went back to this theme I've been talking about of appreciation, you know? So not only talking about 420 consuming cannabis, but it's after you consume what are you doing? You know? So I think it's a great opportunity to really like kind of like an anniversary, you know, hopefully you're in a relationship, you have an anniversary, you in some sense renew your vows, you know, because I think with, at least for me with cannabis, it's a relationship, right? And every, I'm always growing and learning and, and doing things differently. So for 420, it's like, I just sit and then call it meditate on my relationship to cannabis and I'm gonna consume and do something that I really like to do.
1: All right, well, I'll leave it there. Ricky Williams, really appreciate having you on. Thanks so much for joining us on the show.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: That's it for today. San Diego Padres fans and my fantasy team are rejoicing because Fernando Tatis Jr. is back from his suspension. The other people rejoicing are AAA pitchers. Tatis in AAA was like if a 12-year-old accidentally got put in a little league for eight-year-olds. In eight AAA games, he hit seven home runs with a 5.15 average. Not too shabby. Thanks for listening and we'll see you tomorrow.